Welcome back, everyone, to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I'm Justin, and as usual, I am joined by... Festive Beth! Ah, not Noel Sam. <laughs> and I'm very curious if Sam's going to be super annoyed at my intro this week. Hi, Caleb. Uh-huh. <laughs> Success! The experiment works. Yeah. Feeling festive. I opened my presents and I got insert present here. <laughs> exactly. That's true. Merry Merry Holiday. <laughs> I love present. To all of you who observe, I hope you had a lovely December. And uh Is everyone have... who observes December? Correct. You know, not everybody. Cool. Does. I try not to. Want to be a expanse of the Julian calendar out there. <laughs> Beth Beth doesn't give Beth doesn't give a chance to observe December. That's true. All right, yeah, we are once again uh, delving into Well of Ascension here. Uh, As of our last episode, we had finished up part two, Ghosts in the Mist, and had seen the title card for part three, King, which is what we started into today. So we get uh, get some interesting developments with the the big twist at the end of, of last section with Ellen Venture being deposed from his kingship. We get to see what the hell is uh, is going to happen now. Well, better than expected, I guess. Certainly interesting. I I do I I'm looking back and realizing they really missed a, a, a bad opportunity for an "It's Always Sunny" intro of um, ending the chapter on Ellen's getting the letter but not reading it and saying, "Man, I sure I'm glad I'm king," and then titling part three, <laughs> "Ellen is no longer king." <laughs> it's always ash covered in the final empire sure is because <laughs> it is most definitively not always sunny i mean i guess there's sun it's just like weird red evil looking red and apocalyptic yeah yeah i really like the political shenanigans that begin to ensue from here i oh I yeah chuckling to myself when we got to that that end of the uh, the previous section yeah when i when i think about well of ascension I feel like this is one of the main things that I think about. Yeah. So yeah, we can uh, we can go ahead and get into the the politics here uh, with uh, I think one last quick stop in hashtag Alendi facts uh, with <laughs> Quan telling us uh, some more kind of prophecy here uh, with he left ruin in his wake but it was forgotten he created kingdoms and then destroyed them as he made the world anew. Uh, which this is, I think, kind of peak prophecy here. <laughs> yeah, it it does bring kind of new vibes. It doesn't feel like a Lendy facts anymore, and it sounds like hero facts, which is a different vibe. But yeah, I also when we started part three, I was like, okay, we're finally now the epigraphs will also have a new vibe and a new topic, and not he's still working on this. <laughs> At least it's not a love letter anymore. <laughs> or at least it seems to be pulling out of that. Mm-hmm. He's not carving it into the steel slab, like laying down on his stomach, kicking his feet into the air. <laughs> so I I love the opening sequence to this part uh, where I'm just going to read some of, of Tindwell's dialogue here. Let me see if I understand this correctly. <laughs> there is a clause in the kingdom's legal code that lets the assembly overthrow their king. And you wrote this law yourself. <laughs> Chapter 28, in which the characters yearn for a dictatorship. <laughs> it's 
pretty much. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty much what they're asking for. The people long for it. They demand <laughs> to be subjugated. They nearly go out and start dictating, too. Ellen has to be like, hold up. Yeah, the, the one who they are trying to install as a dictator says, wait a minute, we're going <laughs> to do a democracy here. <laughs> I just gotta say, like, you know, we'll see what his intentions are, and also fuck this guy, but it really seems like the only person who's respecting this as a democracy is Phylon. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is crazy, because it's... We'll, we'll get to him. Yeah, we'll get there. That's at the very end, but... Yeah. So yeah, we uh, we're getting. This is presumably right after our last section wrapped up, uh, but it turns out that in this legal code that Ellen is responsible for a good portion of, uh, it is possible to run a vote of no confidence in the king and depose him, and that has happened, uh, and everybody else involved pretty much. Uh, chief of which Tindwell thinks that this is ludicrous and there should be a single strong uniform ruler who cannot just get voted out of power. Uh, and yeah, Elland as the one deposed seems to be the one who is most okay with this process. Yeah. Literally everyone is just like martial law, martial law, martial <laughs> law. And Ellen's like, no, 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 we don't do it really should not be doing that. <laughs> Fucking clubs, clubs is, like... is the first one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Come on, man. Let's do. Let's pull a Burma. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. I I do also like how, after all of the, uh, the effort to change, um, the the crew's language around Elland, uh, he's now like, I guess you don't need to call me Your Majesty anymore. <laughs> And it's also, it's it's almost worked, I wouldn't say too well, because I do think Ellen is in the right here, but um, the fact that, like, even after they all get on the same page of, okay, you are no longer king, we're going to do this legally, he's no longer king, and thus, they don't really need to be making the decisions that he wants to make. <laughs> like, right. if, if Ellen is giving up his own power in the government, he's also kind of by proxy giving up his own power within this group of people, and... I think it says something about Tindwell's training that even despite that, they are still doing what he says ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that he could have um, put forward the, this argument and gotten everyone to accept it at the beginning of this book. Yeah. I ironically, by becoming a better leader, he is able to maintain his position of, I am not king. <laughs> and Vin even watching this kind of mentally calls that out when uh, Ellen specifically rebukes Tindwell uh, and 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 says that uh, you know you can you can respond to my ideas but don't call me a fool uh, and and Vin thinks this is your fault you made him this way <laughs> this is just after Ham says see reason Ellen declare yourself dictator Ellen yeah it's it's not really a perspective that you uh, you expect to get from a, a, a medieval-ish fantasy book. Well, in a way, it is what you would expect, but just not from the definitive heroes. Right, um, exactly. But it like they have put themselves... It like This is a credit to Sanderson's writing of they are in a position where 
yes we we looking and reading this in our world are like yeah ellen's way of doing things is probably for the best because it's not fascism but they've been put in a situation where you can kind of understand why everyone's like yeah just step up and and make everyone else do what you say because you are the best leader right now um and there's kind of a there's there's an a, a very almost uncomfortable like confrontation with the idea of it would be a lot simpler if Ellen just put his foot down and de deployed mm -hmm. the armies and maybe that would help keep the peace ultimately like the it's very much clearly portrayed as being the wrong side of the argument but there is an argument here for that happening which is just really interesting and the, the fact that Sanderson's able to kind of walk that line of show why people would be on board with this while still showing but Ellen's way is still the best is is impressive mm-hmm so the logistics of the situation at hand, uh, as as Ellen explains, uh, is that uh, there's going to be a there, there's going to be a procedure to determine a new king uh, among the assembly, uh, and it's entirely possible for the new king to be the same as the old king. So there is a a viable path for Ellen to just regain the throne, uh, and also if the assembly cannot decide then Ellen returns to rule. So there is a path forward, uh, and he plans to to try to take it. Let's pull a Grover Cleveland. Get elected twice. Elected non-consecutively twice. Yeah, so somebody has to be elected for a short time and then say, I step down and nominate Ellen. <laughs> In the same meeting, Penrod, you know, step up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We also get a moment where Ham goes, basically says, oh, I'm sure Vin could just assassinate the competition if we need to. And Ellen gets upset. And Vin, I hope you noticed, Ellen did get upset. He's not just using it as a tool. He's He, he doesn't like the idea of just doing that. I, I hope I hope Elle scores a little points there and that Vin just doesn't keep thinking, well, Zane says this. I guess I got to listen to Zane now. Yeah, no, that is that is a good point. And it's... It's a good thing to see, especially uh, since the last section when Ellen's views on Vin's power was a big problem. Yes, yeah. I, I think this is a this is a even if Vin doesn't pick up on it, and judging from the way the book is going, it seems like for a while she will not. I feel like this is an indication to the reader that no, Ellen really doesn't want to use this. He was really just doing that because. In the moment, that's what was best to negotiate with Straff. Mm -hmm. We did skip over a very important part where we interrupt these tense legal political proceedings to have Vin pet Orser. <laughs> yes. Just give him some scritches. <laughs> yes, and, and he's like, I'm not sure what we're doing here. <laughs> I guess this is my life now. <laughs> If I have one of those days. <laughs> I was going to go right from that into uh, Vin and Orser become the peanut gallery and <laughs> and just start making fun of Breeze and Ham in particular. <laughs> Statler and Waldorf. Mm -hmm. They do clarify that they're talking very quietly, but there's still a lot of conversation for the fact of Vin is still trying to hide the fact that Orser is a chondra yeah, and not just she, a dog. She is talking to the dog here. And isn't Spook in the room too? He's also a tin eye. Hmm. Yeah, he would be able to hear that, wouldn't he? <laughs> Oops. 
Oops. <laughs> I like the though uh, the conversation that they're they're having uh, about how Breeze and Ham's banter does kind of distract from things. Uh, and Ursor Orsir goes, "I could just eat one of them," <laughs> and and then has to explain that perhaps Condra humor is a little grim. We also get confirmation, although we don't see it, so I guess it's still theoretical. But it is heavily implied that the food ham does exist in the Cosmere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we have hypothetical pigs. Well, I don't. I mean, you know, uh, Straff ate steak in the last section, so got all sorts of hypothetical foods here. Yeah. And then this kind of transitions into uh, Ham saying, do you think one of the invaders might be behind this? And getting to the end of the chapter, it seems like maybe that is part of it. Um, and we'll get to that when we get to it. Because um, my first question was, how would an invader know exactly how the intricacies of this new law work? But if they have a man on the inside, explain the process and that would explain it. But it's also like, Ellen goes, nah, I don't think it's that. And Ellen, Straff literally told you, ah, the next leader of Luthadel will probably open up the gates to me, implying that Straff also has a plan to get a new king on the throne. Yeah, it uh, it does seem like there's a lot going on. Ellen is kind of just now realizing how much is going on that he didn't know about. You know, I just figured it out. Um it's it's like Elland is playing a turn-based strategy game whereas Straff and Set are playing an RTS. <laughs> That's actually a really good comparison. Yeah, no, it is. It is. Um, <laughs> like, things perfect. are happening, plays are happening, and it's not just all centered on one thing. Like, you, there's stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have watched a significant amount of day nine talking about playing starcraft uh and one of the things that i remember him saying uh was that in real-time games like starcraft uh it is almost always better to do the 75 percent good solution right now rather than the 100 percent good solution in 10 seconds and yeah. that is what uh, everybody else except ellen is doing yeah <laughs> because in turn-based it's let me stop and think until I can find the 100% best solution. And then I can just yeah. do it. I have time for that. I'll meet with Strap in a month. <laughs> so there's there's discussion of the, the particular timing of this situation and how uh, there still are multiple armies to deal with. Uh, and perhaps that timing is not quite a coincidence. Uh, but Ellen is hopeful that if he can... Uh, pull off this maneuver and and reestablish the throne, uh, then that is a, a significant mark in his favor in terms of you do have to negotiate with me uh, because I maintained control of the city. Yeah, this isn't the sort of thing that would work well twice, I don't think. If he's able to get the throne back, that's a pretty that sends a pretty strong message. Mm-hmm. Ellen pretty much immediately gets down to the, the matter at hand and starts his study. So he's back in his element. Uh, and we swap briefly over uh, to uh, Tindwell talking with the rest of the crew. Uh, we find out that Sazed has been uh, recovering from his his trip all the way back to Luthadel. 
uh, as he likely uh, depleted quite a bit of, of stored um, wakefulness and so has been been sleeping quite a bit and uh, there's a little bit there where Tindwell is disapproving of the fact that uh, the rest of the crew seems to know at least some about Farakemi, which apparently shouldn't be a thing. Yeah, Tindwell seems to think she's in the first book of the series because she's still trying to keep secrets about how the Keepers work. Mm-hmm. And then when she finds out the secrets are already out, she's like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> I also like that it's followed up. We we mentioned in a previous episode that Cezanne apparently is playing the I overthrew the final empire card too much. Mm-hmm. And now his friends are playing it for him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. still fucking hates it. So yeah, the uh, the part that part of the crew partitions off. Uh, we return to Elland and his studies. Uh, Elland is annoyed at himself for um, making the law perhaps a little too airtight that he can't seem to loophole his way through this. Yep. No easy way. This is what happens when you ignore people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. They say fuck you goodbye. Yeah. But, yeah. That reaction is a little funny, though maybe I can loophole my way out of this in, like, immediately following, if I've lost the will of the people, I must accept it. <laughs> Unless I can sort of bullshit around Wait. the law, then it doesn't Wait. count. Wait, yeah, shit. I, doing this the 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 actual hundred percent honest way is going to be really hard. Maybe I can it's find just something. It's hard, man. Just, just, maybe I can just find something a little bit easier than that. <laughs> but yeah, Sam, you're absolutely correct about him sort of doing this to himself by ignoring folks and it makes when you reread this book every time a letter comes from the assembly and he's like eh, it's fine i'll just leave him on red very painful well, not even leave him on red leave him on unread yeah <laughs> he didn't even open it yeah no he he did not open a single one of those letters uh, and at the the close of the chapter we get uh, perhaps a bit of a turning point with ellen and tindwall uh, where we had seen previously that she had started to uh, to affect some changes in him and approve of the way that he was taking charge, uh, but here we have a, a bit of a, uh, a a more personal connection between the two of them, where they get to to talk out kind of what they've both been going through, uh, and Tindwell apologizes for uh, some of her manner, uh, and and Ellen acknowledges that he needed some of the training and that uh, they they both need to to go from here we also get tindwell sharing a little bit of personal information and we'll get more later on and to be fair we do eventually find out she does mean biological children but she says i've raised a number of daughters and ellen for a moment forgets that adoption exists and is like wait a minute you can't raise children that doesn't make any sense yeah, there's uh, perhaps not as much known as as there should be. I like, in, f- in fact, I like to imagine that Twindwell now assumes everyone knows, like, Seiza's just told them everything about the Keepers, and so now she's just assuming they know information. And yeah. then Ellen is like, wait, wait, hang on, that does, wait. <laughs> yeah, I, I like during this conversation that uh, the the primary thing that Ellen seems to want to talk about is Vin doesn't seem like I think something 
is is wrong with me and Vin right now, and I don't know what it is. Uh, and Tindwell A helps, B points out that this is perhaps not the most important problem right now. <laughs> but Ellen does want to both do the things that for for the the good of of leading the people, and also to have his his relationship with Vin. So we can hope that that he can manage it. Not that Tindwell leaves that conversation on a particularly optimistic note. Com- completely off the wall here. Uh, y'all remember Spider-Man 1, like the, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man? I do remember yes. it, yes. Didn't, uh, wasn't there a scene where, like, it, you know, there's the tram, and then there's his girlfriend. And, Choose Spider-Man! Yeah, and, and he, if I recall correctly, he saves both. Yeah, he just right? chooses both, yeah. So Ellen can do it too, because Ellen's Spider-Man. <laughs> Ellen is Spider-Man. Not Aren't we all Spider-Man? Exactly the, the the crossover I was anticipating, but okay. <laughs> My favorite Sentiment. part of this book is gonna be when uh Ellen saves Vin and then the people and then the people start throwing rocks at Straff and going, You mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. <laughs> God. Welcome to post 9-11 New York. <laughs> All right, we will we will see if Ellen Spider Man is a thing that happens. <laughs> I mean, Ellen does Tobey Maguire Spider Man specifically kind of works just because of how much they both get bullied. <laughs> Pretty similar vibes, yeah. 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 That's not entirely wrong. <laughs> ha! That's twice now I've made a comparison that you guys like. <laughs> and we've only gone yeah, through we one even chapter. The chapter. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, in that case, let us finish this chapter uh, and go on to to chapter twenty nine, uh, where we do get kind of the 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 wrap up of uh, uh, hashtag Lundy facts as Quan just goes through. This is kind of the conclusion of his thought of this is why I was so sure that Alendi was the hero of ages. I'm not owned. I'm not owned. Yeah. Man who was owned. <laughs> Going into chapter 29, uh, we have uh, some more time for Orser and, and Vin to talk, which at this point now actually seems like it's a, a welcome thing. Yay! Yeah, it's less awkward mm-hmm. now. It's great. We do have uh, Orser giving Vin some probably much needed encouragement to please actually sleep. You sleep barely three or four hours a day. Nobody, Mistborn Man or Chandra, can survive on a schedule like that for long. <sighs> Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it turns out that uh, Vin is relying pretty heavily on Pewter to keep herself awake. Uh, and that's probably not great, but we'll see where that goes. Well, yeah, because after the pewter drag, it's it's sort of it almost is kind of a Farukami situation of once you stop using it, your body is gonna have to catch up. So I feel yeah. like this is she's basically doing a very subtle but very very long pewter drag, um, and I feel like she's just gonna make the 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 hangover worse when she finally has to stop. <laughs> exactly. Yet another relatable moment of vin content as to how i feel with my brutal work schedule right now and i have Mm -hmm. literally put on my google calendar 
Beth does not get out of bed for two days once my show wraps up. Perfect. <laughs> but one of the things that is is keeping Vin up uh, is uh, this strange sensation that she does not yet have an explanation for, uh, which perhaps is something that one other person in the history of this planet has experienced, uh, and that doesn't give Vin a lot to go by. Yeah, it is funny talking about Quan giving so many Elendi facts, and then we look at the Elendi journal, and it's like, could you please give me more facts about your situation? <laughs> yeah, that that we actually would like to uh, to have some info on. Quan hoarded all the facts. There wasn't <laughs> yeah. any room left for Elendi. <laughs> Interrupting Vin's thoughts here, uh, or Sir with a, a bit of a hard read, uh, they've been sitting out there in the darkness for some time, and he just says uh, he's not coming, and and knows exactly what he's talking about. In that, Vin is definitely here to try to spar with and or talk with Zane. Yeah, or Sir just takes a page out of the entire book to say "fuck Zane, man." <laughs> Which I appreciate. <laughs> Too pleased with himself. Or Sir is? Uh, no, uh, Zane. Oh, he yeah. He seems too pleased with himself. Yeah. Uh, this is... This is somebody telling Vin the thing that we, the readers, would very much like her to hear. <laughs> uh, and it's it's interesting to see who could actually get through to Vin about this because it doesn't exactly happen here, uh, but it's not nothing. Uh, she does accept that uh, Orser as a Chandra does have a very good read on people and has a perspective that, that others might not. Uh, and so she's at least not going to dismiss it out of hand. It is both funny and frustrating to hear Vin's thoughts being like, I'm really glad Orasur is willing to tell me when he thinks I'm being stupid. I will not listen to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, she still is Vin. <laughs> he might be right, but... Anyways. <laughs> There's also an another development in uh, the relationship between Vin and Orsur, uh is... She says that he could uh, he could switch to another body. She would find one and and arrange that, and he could stop using the dog's body if it if it bothers him. Uh, and he's not sure about that. As I wrote in my notes, uh, Vin gives Orsur option to no longer be Doge. Orsur says, "No, I like being Doge now." <laughs> Pretty much. Weird, he doesn't really say he likes it. He says it's annoying to switch bodies, which is. <laughs> I, I've absolutely been in the situation of um, uh, like watching TV with someone and they're asking, what do you want to watch? And I go, I don't care. And then they pick something that I don't really want to watch. And I go, yeah, this is fine. And they go, no, no, let's watch something you want to watch. And I'm like, no, we already picked it. Let's please just yep. stick with it. Yep. I'm fine. It's going <laughs> to be okay. <laughs> All right. I can, I can jive with that as, as, the, as the vibe here. That makes sense. <laughs> Caleb, you are allowed one metaphor. <laughs> it's just, you know, I've grown accustomed to them as, you know, Condra have this kind of penchant for understatement. So I, I figured like... That's very true. You know. Perhaps that, that is he a, likes a it. pretty significant. Yeah. And Orsur, in, in contrast to Vin, 
says, I need to sleep and eat. Can we please go home? <laughs> but uh, on the way home, we do get some, some time for Vin to uh, kind of stew in her thoughts, which is perhaps not the best, because uh, there's a lot going on. At least she actually talks to Orsur about it. Yeah, she says something about it. Uh, it is it is perhaps an unusual perspective uh, in that Orser approves of Ellen's actions because he is obeying a contract that was set out. Uh, and then Vin realizes that, of course, she's going to get a Chandra's perspective on this from a Chandra, and <laughs> that's just what she's going to have to deal with. And then as we wrap up, uh, well, we get a few things here at the very end. Uh, one, we just get some some fun banter about uh, Orser's unusual choice of diet. Because uh, it sure is just a pile of rotting meat. And that is one advantage that he sees of being a dog is that there's an excuse to just have piles of raw meat sitting around for him to eat. Because that's a little harder to get away with when you're a person. It's aged meat. It's refined. And then right at the the end of the chapter here, uh, as uh, the the sun is rising and is illuminating parts of the mists, uh, Vin thinks that she has an idea, and off we go. And then we get to, I swear to God, the yep. loudest and hardest I have laughed for this entire series. Yup. Quan <laughs> saying... I must continue with the sparsest of details. Space <laughs> is limited. Quan. We are 350 pages into this book, Quan. We have direct confirmation that he's looking at how much wall he has left. He's going, oh shit, oh shit, okay. Nope, gotta speed this up now. It's <laughs> literally what is happening. Yeah, this is... This is something else. Quan... <laughs> Please. Yes, space is limited now. <laughs> the wall's almost full. And kind of reinforcing this, uh, this is now, uh, we had this last book, this is the part in the text of the book where the characters start to deal with what we've been reading in the epigraphs because Sazed is now actually taking the time to transcribe and go over uh, what is on this this giant metal slab so so all of those great epigraphs that we've been hugely entertained by and haven't been annoyed by or thought tedious at all we get to read them all again for two pages sure do remember when on the podcast caleb you literally said i don't think i want to go back and reread the epigraphs in order <laughs> from this book says said too bad <laughs> he said no heart emoji this scene reminds me of, hey, guess what? Middle school. Uh, no! <laughs> we did a play in, I want to say, like, sixth grade. Um, was that, that Register Here? That was Register Here. That, that show was, the name was of it. awesome. That was... that show was unironically great. It was a great show. Um, and th there's a character in it named Jack Cass. And uh, obviously it's not appropriate for middle school, uh, but they changed her name to the character's name to Sue Case because they can't say Jack Cass. And there's a throwaway line that's like, huh, that name suits. So instead, Sue Case is carrying these giant suitcases and uh, it's prop comedy. But uh, the point I was going to make was there's a scene that they added 
because they thought middle schoolers wouldn't understand the concept of money laundering, which is <laughs> accurate, uh, in which uh, myself, who played a, a minor detective, and other detectives uh, discussed the concept of money laundering. And they're like, oh, you're saying this, oh, and like compare notes. And that's this chapter, comparing notes about <laughs> money laundering. So if I've got five pencils and I want to take four of those pencils for myself, but the cops tracking all five pencils, you're telling me I got to say I got these pencils from somewhere else? I don't remember what the explanation was. I'm sure that we didn't talk about placement layering and integration, uh, which are the three <laughs> steps. <laughs> for if you want to do your own money laundering at home. <laughs> that's, that's right. Dear reader. Or if you want to explain it to your middle schooler. <laughs> of course. Fun fact given to you by a guy who's going through getting an accounting degree. Um, I have learned how to pretty effectively launder money uh, because it's necessary to talk about it um, in order for them to be like, don't do this. Because <laughs> you have to know what it is you're not supposed to do, I guess. And that might also be a good time to just talk about how Sam's views do not necessarily reflect the views of There's Always Another Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this whole free podcast has been a money laundering scheme this whole time. <laughs> Man, Justin and I, both of our our parents were accountants, and the amount of times they told at least me to become an accountant, I would have listened more if they told me there was so much money laundering involved in it. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, okay, so I will I will forgive anyone who perhaps decided to skim the entire reprint of all of the epigraphs thus far. Yeah, I kind of skimmed it. <laughs> I didn't. I'm a masochist. <laughs> so now, Sazed uh, has recovered from his, his ordeal uh, and is going to try to start doing some scholarship again. Uh, unfortunately, he is interrupted uh, before he can do any real studying by Vin breaking into his window, uh, which she does very apologetically and, and says, please leave your window unlocked because Ellen gets annoyed when I break the latches. You live here. Like, you could walk in the front door. And also you're a bodyguard. You're security. Why are you telling people to leave their windows <laughs> unlocked when you know very well there's an enemy mistborn about? There's there's a certain aspect of of security in this world where I could buy oh we don't even we shouldn't even bother doing that because a mist an enemy mistborn would easily be able to do it but like you should still probably have latches on the windows just to have them yeah and then she hops not maladroitly through the window <laughs> there was uh, when I was reading um, the lost metal recently uh, there was a point where a character does in fact have a maladroit stumble. And I guarantee you Brandon did that one on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Some things never change, even across different schedule eras. Everyone in Chicago read Lost Metal faster so I can get my hold. Do you want me to, like, lend you my copy? Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll I'll remember that. Yeah, can you bring it to Christmas? I sure can. Great, thank you. But Christmas is over. <laughs> yeah, the, we're, we're now time traveling in this podcast. Oh, oh A no. thing that you explicitly cannot do in the Cosmere, at least backwards. 
Also, characters can't come back from death. Wink. There's like seven asterisks on that, but yes, also that. Every time we bring this up, it feels like there's more qualifiers, which makes me like really not worried, just like very curious what those qualifiers are going to end up being. It's mostly just like there is a line in the sand that characters can't come back from. It's just not the the normal human one if there's enough magic involved. I see. He's mostly dead. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think that's honestly just a, a a thing for Brandon himself to to be able to definitively say, like, I have finished writing this character's story. And even if maybe everybody wants to like see what what would happen if they came back and had to do something about this, I can say no they're dead, they're done. So I think you that's what You cannot Sherlock Holmes this. <laughs> Correct. So uh, Vin is uh, getting another chance to talk with, with Sazed here. Uh, Sazed thinks on how the Vin that he originally met would not be at all interested in the, the scholarship being performed here, but uh, perhaps she has changed a little bit through the study of the logbook and then uh, these last few months uh, in that she is is quite interested in what he has discovered. Uh, a little too interested when she picks up the, the original rubbing and he says, please put that down, it's very fragile. <laughs> I like to think that it's probably an onion skin. Quite possible. Yeah. Uh, 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 speaking as a guy who worked in archiving, onion skin is the most fragile shit in the world. <laughs> like... I remember putting a piece of onion skin down on a flatbed scanner and closing the bed and then opening the bed and it ripped because it stuck to the scanner top. Oh, <laughs> great. And I was just, from that day on, I was very careful to... It was like copy 30 of a sales report from like 1947 or something. So not a rare doc... Well, you know, it is a rare document because it's an original onion skin. But... uh but I didn't rip like a, 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 an original rubbing of the Declaration of Independence. Or right. Anything. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I didn't and destroy history. Fine. So Vin is uh, Vin notices that uh, there's mention of the deepness, which was on her mind at the close of the last chapter. So she's very excited. Uh, while she's being excited, uh, she is sitting on the top of a chair. Uh, because every Mistborn ever sits wrong, and Sazed points this out because it amuses him, which I think would also amuse me seeing this on screen, of just, like, any time that Kelsier or Vin are interacting with a chair, it is incorrect. I do also love, I just think this is the first time Vin has ever been excited from reading something, which is just nice to see. Yeah, no, there were there were times before when she was interested in it like as a problem mm -hmm. but now it's like she noticed a detail and is instantly like okay let's look at this her attack on titan brain is awakening <laughs> oh dear so the the question that she has for Sazed is uh what was the deepness uh or at least what do people think they know about the deepness which is a thing that we talked about pretty extensively last book and didn't ever really get a good answer yeah uh, I, you know, the explanation that it was an army, uh, wholly unconvincing. And, like, 
shame on people for thinking that that was a good argument because uh, Alendi is very like this is not a real this is like a, a paranormal spooky thing mm-hmm. and there's spooky stuff going on he, he's not speaking metaphorically like yeah you know, he doesn't say out and out this is the me- I think we talked about like this is such a foundational thing in his world that he doesn't feel the need to explain it because everybody would know what it is right um, but it's not, you know, it's not the Coloss. Jasty's <laughs> got the Coloss. What's he up to? What I is he up to? Chapter 32, we'll to? find out. I mean, I'm guessing, I'm assuming. We'll see. I don't remember when we next go back to them. <laughs> Chapter 32, Set goes up, talks. Suddenly, through the door, comes the Coloss army. <laughs> The entire army? The whole one army. Of, what, not Jesties, but one of the Colossus is like, I also want to be king. <laughs> Nominate me. Now that actually would be a, a an interesting development. <laughs> it sure would be interesting. <laughs> Probably, wouldn't, Probably happen. wouldn't happen, but would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, I will preemptively put that down. <laughs> The Colas demands to be nominated. <laughs> so yeah, Sazed runs down uh, several of the, the the possibilities that scholars have proposed for what it was. Uh, Vin is amused that uh, apparently, despite all of Ellen's study, this is very much not his area of expertise, and he had only a couple of things, a, a phrase or two to say. And Sazed has just off the top of his head rattled off a couple of like five or six different options that various scholars have debated over. Uh, And he says, you know, if you ask a keeper about history of this world, this is what you're going to get. And then Vin lays out her theory, uh, which is that the deepness was the mists itself. Yay. Did I call this shot? I'm I'm going back to the chart or to the the spreadsheet because I feel like... I'm pretty sure it was somewhere on mine. I don't know how far back it was, but I feel like I also threw that out uh, at some point. I see in episode four of Well of Ascension, um, I have written down that Caleb said that the deepness was in some way the mist. Uh, I have uh, in episode two, one of my predictions was um, it's the mists are coming due to the return of the deepness. So I guess I didn't say it was the deepness itself. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Anyway. And then Sazed just shoots down all my hopes and dreams by being like, yeah, a bunch of people think that already. <laughs> okay. <laughs> can you can you let me feel happy for literally more than one line that Vin has a Eureka moment that I figured out before she did? And Sazed's like, nah, that, that, everyone nah, thinks that. you may not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he says that uh, there's a couple of things with that theory is... Uh, the Lord Ruler supposedly defeated the Deepness, but the Mist is obviously still around. Uh, also, the Mist is a pretty well-established part of the world, and so giving it another mysterious name seems somewhat unnecessary. Mm. Uh, but he he does uh, acknowledge that the things that are known about the Deepness are kind of vague and ill-defined and, and not there's not a lot written down about it so eh, there's possible there's possibilities 
but Vin and Seiza do agree on one kind of uh, most important element, regardless of what the scholarship says, is that uh, in this time now, uh, the mist is killing people. And that's definitely significant. That's bad. <laughs> yeah. So Vin goes over kind of her, what she's afraid is going to happen, uh, which is that the mists are going to come during the day and they're not going to go away. And they're going to effectively smother the world. And uh, in perhaps not the most rigorous scholarship, declares herself to be right. <laughs> I do love that little moment of Cezid, like just sort of looking over this and being, did she know nothing of proper research techniques? And then, of course not. No. <laughs> No, where, and there's where a good chance she she's right because that's just how this goes. <laughs> it's just how Vin do. And during this this discussion, she does get to finally talk about something that has been kind of her problem by itself until now, uh, which is when Sazed points out that there is a a sentience to the deepness described in the logbook, uh, and and Sazed says, "Well, the mist doesn't do that. It is like it." It moves in strange ways, but it, it doesn't have like a personality. And Vin points back to the description of the mist spirit and then finally tells someone else that she has seen it. And that perhaps changes things. I'm, I'm glad she's finally telling someone. I, I get why she doesn't want to tell everybody, but it feels like she should have told someone before page 358. But I'm happy she's telling someone. Yeah. I also appreciate Sazed's uh, practicality, uh, where Vin says, you must think I'm crazy. Uh, and Sazed says, no, this seems like it, it totally fits with what we're experiencing right now. There's a lot of crazy shit in the world, and this, that, that, that doesn't seem like it's the, sh the craziest. So, And then following on from that is uh, perhaps one of, the, one of the bigger implications of this. Um, which is, I think, a thing that we've gone over somewhat, uh, which is that given that Alendi was the hero of ages uh, and never made it to his goal because Rashik killed him, uh, then the thing that Alendi was supposed to do maybe never got done. Uh, and that means that maybe it still needs to be done by perhaps still a hero of ages. And at this point, Vin really doesn't want to say out loud, I think I might be the hero of ages. Yeah. But it's pretty heavily implied by all present. <laughs> and then Sazed goes, I'm not certain that's a valid statement. She goes, just say I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, it is a, a bit of a, a tricky um, kind of conflict here between... Uh, the the rigor of the the history and the scholarship that Sazed is used to and wants, and a mystical prophecy, which don't lend themselves very well to that sort of rigor. We will have to uh, table the discussion of, of mystical prophecy, though, uh, because uh, Sazed has also realized that uh, Vin is is kind of making fun of him for being a, a, a bad terrorist man, which is something he's said. Uh, but now that there is 
someone else around who knows more about that more directly uh says it is has apparently uh realized that that can also be a bad thing of him being a bad terraceman and and we get uh says view on how he's been interacting with with tindwell a steadfast refusal to trash talk anyone <laughs> yeah uh, and we do get a a pretty big bit of uh, of terrace culture world building here, which is appreciated. Uh, we learn about uh, the I think we've had mention of the synod, uh, but now says it explains that they are uh, a a group of elders who are at least somewhat in charge of the keepers, uh, and that Tyndall is a member, and uh, that as we've seen. Uh, actions, he can try to play the, yeah, but I overthrew the final empire card, (laughs) but it is, uh, it is not going to work forever. The really unfortunate thing that we learned though, is we've had, I I think we've had vague mention of the Lord Ruler's terrorist breeding programs. And that is... That is a thing that is kind of exactly what it sounds like, is that apparently the Lord Ruler had a very direct control over uh, which Terrace women would bear children. Uh, and that was that was Tindwell, and she has had over 20 children uh, from a very young age. And it was it was not good know what else to conclude there yeah i i'm conflicted about this section because i feel like this is important character backstory that we need to have and i'm not sure season should be the one giving it Hmm. yeah that's a good way to put it i also i don't know exactly where this book is going but i i also don't even know if you really do 100 percent need it because as has as has been shown I am already fully on board with Tindwell as a character, and I I don't I think it could be vague enough as she had a very rough childhood because the terrorismen were treated very very poorly. I don't know if we need to get into this much detail. And then yeah, like you said, if that is important for us to know, it's it is a little bit weird that she's not in the room when this very private information is being shared. Mm-hmm. The uh, the one thing that we do learn, which is probably why says it knows this at all uh is that uh the the lord rulers programs uh seem to be an attempt to uh eliminate ferrochemy which is a hereditary trait and the the fact that that tindwell who is a keeper who has ferrochemical powers uh was selected for this means that there is now a a good chance that I guess Ferrochemy goes on another generation. Yep. Kind of a big oversight on, on the Lord Ruler's part here. It is a very big oversight because yeah, it's it's very dark. It's hard to laugh at anything in this section, but the fact that they were trying to breed docility into the Terracemen and they chose Tindwell. You know, <laughs> yeah. everyone's favorite docile character <laughs> this strikes a strange contrast between um 
And I mean, this is like a really obvious comparison here that we we got just a couple chapters ago. Um, Straff kind of had the same intention of like doing something through progeny by, Mm -hmm. you know, having all his mistresses and having all these kids. And this is kind of the flip side of it, Um, but with the opposite goal to get rid of Farakemi. Right. So except for 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 our heroes for for Tindwell and for the keepers it almost was the same the same goal yeah i think there's some there's some very interesting things about um i i should have looked some of these up before um uh i know brandon has talked about um hereditary magic in fantasy kind of in general uh, because of all the different magic systems that he's designed for all his different books. Um, I believe Allomancy and Farakemi are the only two that are explicitly hereditary uh, because he said that it, it does do some interesting things about like the concept of a chosen one or the idea of the, the skill or ability or I guess worthiness of certain people. Like th- there's in the last book, we had all of this, uh, this whole effort for the Ska to kind of overthrow the the empire that controlled them because there was no good reason for the the people to be controlled like that. Uh, but when you talk about Alamancy, there is kind of a direct answer of were you born with it or were you not? So it's it's a tough thing to kind of navigate of how that influences the world. Yeah, and I think that's I think Sanderson does a pretty good job with doing that because yeah, anytime you have a yeah, you were born to do this or because of your your parentage or your bloodline you were able to do this. Um there's a there it it feels very uncomfortable like kind of almost master race implications of uh, everyone with this bloodline is better than everyone else. Right. Um and I think Brandon's for these books, Brandon has done a good job of kind of, again, walking that line by having the two main characters who are, who have these very special powers be not of pure blood. And by being kind of half ska makes it so that, you know, it's not vital that you're a hundred percent purebred or whatever. Um, you can still kind of come from the bottom of the ladder and be important. Um, but on the other hand, I am also happy to hear that a lot of his other magical systems don't subscribe to that theory because, mm-hmm. yeah, there are a couple of implications in there that are kind of difficult to grapple with. He also does make most of the nobility just complete shit. Yeah, that too. <laughs> sure does. <laughs> we should circumvent that. And something that we're not really going, we don't really have the material in book to get into now, uh, but is a thing that gets um brought up in the future and i think is a very interesting kind of twist on this is uh there is a way in world to circumvent that whole born with allomancy or not thing uh it just involves stabbing people with big spikes <laughs> that's true uh, i hadn't thought about that yeah and like we've we only know um the very little bits about it from what marsh has said in like the epilogue of final empire uh but yeah stabbing people with big spikes let's see what that does later for a second i was like how could i have forgotten about that and then i was like oh it's because we haven't seen marsh or any other inquisitor for right. 300 pages 
right <laughs> i don't yeah i don't think we've seen when when did marsh like leave in the middle of the night that was like chapter eight or something pretty early on yeah it's it's been a while it's been a while i would say certainly 300 pages almost certainly keep going i'm gonna look <laughs> all right we shall keep going into uh the shortest epigraph of the section for chapter 31 uh, where Quan says, "My bad, I fucked up." We know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's I, why we're in this situation. I, I also almost feel like we've read this epigraph word for word already before. I don't know if I'm just I'm mixing up the theme of the epigraphs with the actual text, but I read that I was like, "Yeah, this sounds really familiar." Yeah. Um, part of me even wonders actually if there is an Elendi epigraph that sounds very similar, but. Um, it was just, I read that, I was like, that, yeah, we're still walking in circles a little bit, it feels like. Yeah. In my notes, I wrote, yes, we know you've said so many, many times. <laughs> you and Elendi, just over and over. I doomed us all. I fucked it up. Damn it. My B. I wonder what Sazed's opinion of Quan would be if they actually did get to talk and discuss scholarship. Can trees talk? Quan? Yeah, that was where he started from. Yeah. <laughs> and look how not far he's come, because he hasn't said anything else of note. Uh, going into chapter 31, the final chapter of our section, uh, we get another very different POV introduction. Uh, we get to see Phylon. What a dick. What a shitter. <laughs> what a fucker. What a dick. I love this section. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I just want to read my whole notes for this initial POV. Okay. Please. What do you got for us? Right. We got some highlights. Violence POV. Yeah, I, I did snip highlights, but I'll, I'll recant, recount them for you. Mm-hmm. Um, recant. <laughs> I'll recant them. Uh, <laughs> so uh, he says he's never been a ska because he sells, doesn't make. He does have a last name, I guess. Nope, he made up his last name. God, I hate this guy. <laughs> Pretty much. Phylon planted someone in the crowd. Also, maybe Poison Penrod. Also, orchestrate removal. What a shitter. I kind of love him. <laughs> <laughs> you love to he's, hate him. Yeah, he's the worst. But like that whole... That's, that's so fascinating to, to be like... You can, you can 100% understand the mindset of... Oh, everything I have, I made for myself. That makes me better than everyone else. Like I, I completely, mm-hmm. uh, th- that all tracks with his his backstory that we get here. Um, and yeah, I just think I, I just think it's it's great. He's, we have a great hateable character here. Yeah. Uh, so here we are preparing for uh, what I assume is the first assembly meeting since the uh, the events of of Ellen's deposal. Is that a word? It is now. Great. (laughs) God bless. And yeah, here we are with uh, Phylon Frando. Frandau? Phylon. What a dick. (laughs) Uh, Who is a a merchant, represents that kind of group of the the people. Uh, Like uh, like we said, fancies himself as kind of a self-made person. Uh, And sees that in in stark contrast to uh the nobility which he does observe 
even after the overthrow of the final empire, there was a nobleman in charge and that didn't sit right with him. But we see, uh, we, we know that there are, there are plans coming up and uh, yeah, Phylon does not think highly of Elend here. Just a, a, a class traitor through and through that Phylon. <laughs> Just like yeah. petty bourgeois weirdo. Come on. <laughs> and he is already preparing to kind of uh, take the reins on things because he's expecting Ellen to not even show up again. Honestly, a fair guess. Yeah, yeah. it's not entirely wrong. <laughs> By this point, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it turns out that it's time for Ellen to perhaps demonstrate some of the things that he's been learning because he makes an appearance and it's quite a dramatic one. Uh, again, yeah. playing with playing with this this weird twist of now that Ellen has been deposed, he gets to do the kingly things. It's his turn to be a dramatic bitch. Good for him. Yes, this image feels like it was it was made for the movie trailer of him just bursting into this chamber full of people with the red sunlight gleaming in behind him and he's walking forward all confidently. Uh, I am here for it. And from watching this from Phylon's POV, uh, it is a pretty blatant intimidation tactic, which to be fair, it is. And and it's an interesting thing about this scene in that, like, because we get to see Phylon's inner thoughts, we know what a just awful, awful person he is. But it would be very easy to write this scene with the exact same, like, physical actions take place. But if you were, if we had seen the POV of different characters, if we didn't know Ellen so well if we were seeing it from the perspective of someone we actually liked more, uh, this takes on a very different reading. So which I, I think is, is kind of interesting. I agree. We also get Phylon needing to actively remind himself to stop calling Ellen the King, even in his head, which I find very satisfying. It's very satisfying. And I feel like it, I feel like it's again, a Tindwell thing of he's walking in with his, his white cape and he's all dressed up and he has his entourage and he it's 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 almost for the first time feeling looking at him and going oh it's the king no damn it it's not the king stop it <laughs> so with that uh part of the scene we we conclude uh Phylon's pov and we're going to go back over to to elland to see what he can do to navigate this this new situation uh and we see that Although his his dramatic appearance here is definitely striking, uh, we see that it is definitely something that he is consciously working at uh, and being very careful about it. It's not natural to him yet. So we're going to uh, begin some, I guess, parliamentary procedure here uh, with Ellen explaining that they need to choose a, uh, a chancellor for the assembly to run the meetings because there is, is no king present. Uh, he nominates uh, Lord Penrod, who we've seen before as kind of the the reasonably sensible guy. So there's there's some points there, and then, and and it is this kind of like parliamentary gamesmanship where 
Ellen makes the suggestion of, you know, here, how about we have Penrod be chancellor of this meeting? Uh, and then the first thing that has to happen is that Ellen has to speak and Penrod has to give the floor right back to him. <laughs> yeah, we do get a, a, a good old back and forth of now it's finally paying off that Ellen knows the rules so well because now he can just kind of use protocol to his advantage and really just keep getting the spotlight. Um, which is really satisfying to see because after a whole section of reading of, yeah, Ellen kind of set up the law in a way that screws him over. Now we get to see him like, despite the fact that it's a lot of public speaking and posturing, he still feels in his element in this moment um, in terms of, well, I know how the rules work. I know what needs to come next. Um, and he's able to kind of uh, outmaneuver some people just by doing that. Uh, so Ellen does get to make his speech uh, and it's pretty much just like a speech that he would have made were he still king. Uh, it's a report of the the meeting with Straff, uh, where he he says that Straff is not going to attack us right away, at least. Uh, that that they did negotiate at the meeting. Uh, somebody does ask what he's not going to attack because you're his son, and Ellen's like, oh, that is not the problem trust me <laughs> he does have a moment where he there is some realization there that uh, and and it seems as though he and vin have perhaps at least talked about some of this uh where he realizes that vin isn't totally comfortable with uh being used as a weapon essentially uh but that this was something that they it, he thinks they they need to do uh, and then we get a uh, an interesting political move, uh, which is that uh, Ellen's speech pivots to saying that they are uh, th the city is being protected by the survivor, both in a a mystical sense uh, and also in a more direct sense, in that he he explicitly says that Vin is guarding the city. And has that uh, kind of, uh, I guess, lineage in a uh, like a power sense, and this is a this is a speech that kind of evokes the 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 religion of Kelsier that was forming, uh, and that's something that's very strange for everyone else to uh, to have to think over those who who knew Kel and know Ellen and vin especially yeah i forgot to bring it up but we do get a moment earlier in this section where vin says directly ellen is a better king than kelsier would have been um which was very refreshing for someone to directly acknowledge um but it is still interesting to see ellen still in a way falling back on kelsier mm -hmm. um and uh it's we'll we'll see how it plays out but uh yeah it's these Ellen seems like he's trying to cover a lot of different angles here. And I feel like this is, uh, in terms of getting the people's trust, it's it's a good one to to try out and see if that if people respond to it. It also, he, Ellen explicitly says, or thinks, I should say, he was just going to have to get over his insecurity. Kelsier had been a great man, but he was gone. It wouldn't hurt for Ellen to associate himself just a little more strongly with the survivor. Where you can see, A, Tindwell's lessons taking effect of, yes, I am insecure and uncomfortable, but I just need to get over this for the good of the kingdom. And B, his own sort of 
relationship with Kelsier's legacy of it's not necessarily going to overshadow my own, but I can use it to develop my own, which is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm all in favor of uh of Ellen embracing the, the Kelsier kind of uh dogma here. Mythos, perhaps. Yeah. Mythos dogma. But yeah, going through uh what Vin thinks of this, uh it's it's complex. Outwardly at least, she acknowledges that this is a a good move for for Ellen's sake, for getting the the, the people on his side, as it were. Um there's a a brief kind of contradiction that she observes of she's uncomfortable with Ellen putting the spotlight on her as this direct protector of the city, uh, but also maybe thinks in the back of her head that she's the hero of ages, the great prophesied hero who will save the entire world. So that is, uh, that's a a bit of an odd balance. Uh, And then there's the additional wrinkle of the fact that Zane's here and fuck that guy. Yeah, it's, it, it is, it's, it is hilarious to me that we do get the start of an Ellen speech and then halfway through we cut to Vin who starts to zone out. So we still have an off-screen <laughs> Ellen speech that we don't get to hear. <laughs> and then, of course, when Zane Kuhn shows up, we all have to think about him and how how he they're making eye contact. Um and yeah, I don't I don't like that he's here. Why is he why is he in the politics part of the book? Get out of here, Zane. <laughs> The fact that Zane and Set are, I mean, obviously, you know, Set snuck in, he's laying low, but people know who Zane is, and they know that, uh, I don't know. I, I There's a I, whole a whole dichotomy here of, like, public meeting versus literal national security threat. Mm-hmm. They uh, have accepted that there are going to be spies. But it's still weird to be like making eye contact with the spy and just being like, well, I guess that's <laughs> happening now. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> Ellen notices too. Ellen is like, oh, great. Zane's here, I guess. <laughs> What's up, half brother? Mm hmm. Brother! <laughs> brother. Does Ellen know that? Yet? No, he does not. No, yeah, I didn't think so. Because Vin won't tell him anything. Yeah. <laughs> Which I understand. I understand the mentality all makes sense. But it's the, just just talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I found it. Oh, I'm going to share this after. You bet your ass. There's a great five-second <laughs> film about uh, brothers and fathers. And it's called Brothers. It's a five-second film. Listeners, look it up. Brothers. <laughs> Father! Brother, I'm, I'm guessing that's about the end of it. Then you know, I was going to say, I feel like I've seen the, <laughs> I've seen yeah. the film. What a tragedy is it that that five second films and Vine did not overlap in a significant fashion? I miss Vine every day. I do too. There's an art to making a good Vine. There is. And everyone's like, just do TikTok, and it's like. I don't, so I don't have the app. So if I pull up a TikTok on my phone through like the, the normal internet app, 
it doesn't tell me how long it is. So every time I open Wattpad, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be sitting here for either 10 seconds or four minutes, and I don't know which one it is. And I'm just going to be staring at this person until they're done talking. Yep. <laughs> Always another podcast, your place for hot takes on social media formats. <laughs> keep just, wait TikTok to, ad. just wait till we get to our uh, social media uh-huh. shout outs at the end of the episode. Also, to be fair, <laughs> Vine was good. I don't think it's a particularly hot take. <laughs> Spiciest take. Anyway, Ellen. Anyway, the, the continuation of this meeting. Uh, Ellen wraps up his speech. Uh, he kind of tries to to shortcut part of it where he he's he's not going to go into the kind of expected, like long, laborious defense of everything that he did. And he pretty much just says, I'm doing work to protect this city. You can see the work. Hopefully that speaks well enough for itself. So that's that's the tactic that he's going to go with on that front. I know I've only made two turns in this in this turn-based strategy thing I'm doing, but they were really good turns, guys. Look, look, they're so good. <laughs> look at my cape. I got to say the the Ellen mic drop is fucking awesome here. <laughs> I'm all for it. Like the all right, you know, badass, you know. I yeah. believe in the power that you've been given. Uh, let that stand as my argument. Bam. Yeah. yeah, I think that is absolutely a power move. And was set up as, as one earlier when he starts giving a report on the meeting with Straff and everyone's like, uh, are you, are you, you going to talk about, you going to talk about the whole deposing thing? And he goes, no, I don't think I will. And doubles down on it here is like, no, I don't need to. There's more important things at stake. Right. Which which feels very keenly. Yeah. Uh, and so we we go we see more of the the kind of uh, we see more of the fact that Ellen does know how this all functions and that gives him another advantage where uh, Penrod gets the floor again and is is trying to kind of figure out where they're going next and Ellen tells him where they're going next which is it's time to nominate candidates for the king no one wanted this except for Phylon <laughs> Penrod frowns yeah okay, I hope you for- I hoped you'd forgotten yeah and so the uh, the the first thing that happens with the the nominations for king uh, is that uh, they they open the nominations uh, and someone in the the uh, the the ska contingent immediately nominates Lord Penrod, uh, which I think pretty much everyone in the room kind of expected. Uh, he's yep. he's the sensible one. He was just uh, put up as as chancellor, so he had that authority, uh, and he has just kind of a, a generally well accepted backing. Uh, and so that that is an option. Uh, and then uh, we get a, a bit of a, a turn here in our hero's favor uh, in that Penrod then goes and nominates Ellen, uh, which uh, Vin realizes that this was this was Ellen's hope. And it was one of the reasons why uh, why Ellen had nominated Penrod for the the chancellor is to to set up a, a kind of an expectation of uh, reciprocity there outstanding move 
I also like that that realization comes on the heels of Vin thinking to herself, like, oh, sometimes he's just a little bit too honorable. And then Breeze turns around and goes, oh, that manipulative bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sure it's a little column A, a little column B, but you, you kind of go like, oh, okay, one, Ellen is good at this, and two, like, maybe wide-eyed and naivete isn't all there is to him. Yeah, there's some moves being made here. And then... Uh, I guess for the second time in a row, we're going to end apart on a kind of like one line plot twist here, uh, which is that Phylon, uh kind of preens and poses for a bit and gets all the attention on himself. Um, and someone in the crowd is like, just shut up and get on with it already. Just nominate yourself. Uh, but he does not uh, because... Uh, there's this whole kind of gamesmanship of he says do, he asks does the king have to be one of the assemblymen and ellen says no uh, it can be can be anybody involved uh and then Pat, or and then Phylon turns around and says that i nominate lord ashweather set uh who is in the room it's me austin it pretty much me all along it would be additionally funny if, like, that happened. Like, if, if Brandon really wanted to draw it out and it was like, I nominate Ashweather set, and then Ellen just goes, but, but, but the person has to be present in the room, and then Penrod is like, or Phylon is like, well, and then points to <laughs> set in the audience. Um, just, just, like, pull out the reveal and, and stretch it out for as long as you can. It seems like the thing that he might do... Yeah, because Ashweather set also loves being a dramatic bitch, apparently, and I'm on board with that, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just want us to stretch this out even more and, and have Phylon be like, well, and then set doesn't get the cue, and then he goes, <laughs> oh, know, just crickets. <laughs> oh, 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 right, yeah, okay, yeah, hi. It's me, bearded man. He points to the audience, and there's no one there. And then um, he's like, ah, but look under your seat. And then Set is hiding underneath the seat. Oh, oh no. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, with a, with a little bit to wrap it up after that, Breeze, as the, the one who was, was traveling with the Set camp for a while, uh, confirms that is, in fact, Lord Set and says, we might be in trouble. And that is where our section ends. What a good, what a good entrance for our last would-be king we've been sort of complaining about not seeing set for half of the book but ooh, it's spicy yeah yeah Yeah. and what are my last three words of notes for this section do tell what a pissant yeah (laughs) which one set or or phylon again phylon yeah always phylon i'm trying to remember what happens to phylon now i'm hoping it's something like just suitably awful but i honestly can't remember at the moment and i'm <laughs> going to have to determine that very soon just cuz i really want to know <laughs> hope he like dies on the toilet or something do they have toilets do they have hypothetical toilets hypothetical toilets mm. said tweet well no one has abstractly described their bowel movements so and i don't <laughs> care for them too so let's keep that rolling <laughs> and just choose to believe that toilets either exist or don't, but nobody talks about it. Kind of like the deepness, because it's just there. 
So it's like Schrodinger's toilet. The, the whole Phylan introduction is like, yeah, I, I made a name for myself and I basically become an ability. I've even had to overcome my IBS. And I'm doing well on that note. Like God. everything is coming up Phylan. <laughs> it's going great. All right. We're going to go into the, the casting discussion now. Okay. If we go straight to theories, I could talk about my theory that Phylan has IBS. Ah. We'll, uh, we'll get to that one later, I guess. Okay. Uh, I do think it is a, a pretty quick uh, casting section here. We've seen uh, more appearances of some. Like, w this was our uh, our biggest chunk of time with Phylon on page since we met him earlier on. So I don't know if anybody wants to update there. Uh, oh. But we do have, like, a line of description of set. So we can actually attempt to cast Set now if we want yeah, to. Yeah, Justin, you really, you really picked the perfect place because what we know about Set's physical appearance is that he has a face and a bristling beard, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and a body capable of wearing a suit. Yeah. <laughs> Narrows so it down. He's, so he's not a chondra disguised as a wolfhound. We know that much. <laughs> Either that or it's a very ill-fitting suit. Well, uh, I've got it figured out for casting for okay. set. Uh, or at least I think I might. Um, a good one. Good choice. Guy's dead. Maybe it doesn't work. But uh, the person I envision is Hugh Keysburn, a.k.a. Immortan Joe. Oh. All right. All right. Okay. I'm so. into that. Also, Toe Cutter, the villain from the first Mad Max. Oh, really? Yeah, fun trivia. He just plays two separate villains in the Mad Max series. Oh. Good for him. Sam, you were saying this was... You've actually had him in mind for a role for, for a bit now? Yeah. Um. I Well, I had him in mind as set from the beginning. Hmm. Uh, okay. Just because... Um, I don't know. I just had him in mind. I don't know if we get a description of set beforehand, but... I don't know. So, Hugh Keysburn. There you go. Okay. Uh, Caleb, do you have a, uh, a casting for Lord Ashweather set? I do. And I also, I have to ask, we get a couple of lines from assembly members such as Getru, who is Philan's buddy. Um, we have Hetel, a forge worker, and Drydel, a nobleman. Should I care about any of those? Honest question. Uh, they have Coppermind articles, which I'm surprised by. Uh, no. All right. <laughs> then I will save that actor for a different role. Better suited for him. Um, I only cast Get True. I was just like, the other two, I'm just going to guess. I don't have to worry about But I figured maybe Falen's buddy has a little bit more. But um, that's fine. Uh, yeah, so I am guessing this, this sort of delves into theory time. Because I am guessing, based on the fact that this was a massive cliffhanger and Bree said, oh, we might be in trouble, that Set might be good at giving speeches. And he has a beard. Okay. So I'm just going to cast Richard Schiff and we'll see if it works out. That could be a horrible miscast or it could be great. And we're just going to see in the next couple chapters if that's if that's good or not. <laughs> okay. <Frantic> typing. <laughs> uh, I, think, I picture him bulkier than that. I, 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 I did. I did when we were getting all the descriptions of him, but now that he's here and he's in like a politics related scene, I'm mm -hmm. like, may, may, I could, I could see, I maybe see a, 
a Richard Shippen here. But again, I might change this depending on the vibe I get. If he's like uh, Clayton from Tarzan and that's his vibe, then yeah, I'm not going to go with Richard Shippen. But um, we <laughs> then will... we'd go with Clayton from Tarzan, of course. Yeah, we'd go with Brian Blessed. We absolutely would. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see where we go. But that's my initial casting. All right. Uh, this is a- another point where it is. Uh, I-, I am okay with. I guess, quote, spoiling the very next page. Uh, But we're going to continue immediately in this scene. So uh, we're going to get some more info on set very soon and we'll be able to to see how things adjust uh, in the next episode, perhaps. The very first line, Ashweather set had a a glorious mane of hair and couldn't possibly be played by an actor who is usually bald. (laughs) Shit! All right. Predictions, questions, time? Yeah, I think it is time for that. We've uh, just got a, a single, pretty noteworthy addition to the, the casting sheet, and we may be updating that next episode. So we'll we'll see where that goes from here. Uh, but let's see where this book is going to go from here. Yeah. Um, so I wrote down questions because it's fun. Um, it includes a reference at the end that I'll kind of explain uh, after I do it. So... Uh, first question. Let's go through them. Why does everyone have such a hard on for dictators? Why is Ellen forcing people to accept democracy? <laughs> is the deepness spooky or what? Why is Phylon such a bell end, even more than Ellen ever was? What's gonna happen at WrestleMania? What's gonna happen Sunday? <laughs> that last one. Um. Th- uh. WWE games, video games, unlike, you know, baseball games or whatever, every year they would try something new. Mm-hmm. And one year they tried, like, make your own show. And you could put in uh, pre-recorded announcer lines okay, in, in like, bl- blocks of segments. It's kind of like, you know, making your own scene. You can put in your own characters, right. like the movies. Right. Um, so what I did was I put in one block. I, I just... <laughs> Had the announcers have an existential crisis for the whole scene. <laughs> What's going to happen to WrestleMania? What's going to happen to Backlash? What's going to happen Sunday? <laughs> I love it. What's going to happen? I, the uh, the McElroy brothers have a series where they just go buck wild and character creators. Mm-hmm. And I think Monster they did. Factory. Yeah, I love Monster Factory. I think they did this game. Because I remember a clip, because it's burned into my brain, of a, a horrible little gremlin body with Dwayne The Rock Johnson's face on it, just chassay, like, working it down the, the entrance while absolutely no music plays before the announcer goes, Christopher, 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 and then the intro ends. Yep. Uh, I'm yep. gonna I'm gonna give a plug for another messing around with the WWE game character creator. Uh, I'm a, a big fan of the uh, online group Loading Ready Run, uh, and they do an event called the Autumnal Rumble, where they uh, make a bunch of their sketch comedy characters in one of the WWE games, uh, and then set up an entire match card and then do commentary on it. Uh, and it ends up being surprisingly good. Uh, the, 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 definitely the best one though, um, was, I think it was a title match in the women's division 
one of the entrants was Corey in a banana suit, who is a recurring character who is is just Corey wearing a banana suit, who runs in from off screen, punches someone, and runs away, and that's the end of the sketch. Who just shows up every once in a while. So that was one character. Uh, the other uh, contestant was the main character of uh, a Fallout 4 Let's Play they did, uh, who was a misanthropic old lady who fought everyone barehanded, uh, who, as as Graham described it, she doesn't like robots, she just hates people, uh, and her name was Agatha Fisty. <laughs> Uh, so that was the other contestant. Um, and she's wearing like like gloves with spikes on them. And like there's chains somewhere. And the match starts and she just tears across the ring and starts beating the crap out of the banana. It was great. I guess if we're all recommending stuff, I'll give a plug for my own series, Fight Me, in which in Super Smash Bros ultimate i create 16 custom me's and give commentary as they all fight each other as cpus one of which bore a passing resemblance to vixman man and was uh named it's me austin except the me was spelled m-i-i like all of the me's it's nice. a very good series that that's weirdly relevant to multiple things right now i'm i'm impressed <laughs> <laughs> tying it all back together <laughs> All right. All right. And now that Can we've gone like actual... yeah, like seven tangents deep, <laughs> let's uh, let let's rein things back. Sam, can you can you please help me out here? Let's pull it back. All right. Um. So uh, a lot of these we're gonna figure out next page probably. Um. So we'll see. This is like putting predictions. I don't know. Yeah. Um. I have a couple that are are longer, but anyway. Uh. Predictions. Uh, Straff and Set didn't really have a treaty, or Set is betraying it. Um, Straff said Set didn't want Luthadel, and here's Set obsequiously trying to take it over. Yeah, pretty directly. So, yeah, so I would think like he's either double-crossing, or they never really had a treaty. So, interesting. Um, let's see, barring some sort of chicanery, uh, I don't see people voting for Set. Um... Barring guards being there, uh, I don't see people not rioting and killing Set, quite frankly. Uh, this fucker who's sieging them and threatening to take over the city by force. Uh, I mean, if I were there, I'd... <laughs> I, I wouldn't be the first to jump up, because I'm sure people would want to do it before me. Um... <laughs> But isn't that what Throwing everyone hands. in the audience is thinking, Sam? <laughs> the no, they're, they're, let's go. Let's go. Bastille on this bitch. Kill this guy. <laughs> Bare hands. Rip it down. I don't know. Um, so anyway, uh, kind of a ham-fisted way of trying to take the city. Uh, very ballsy, which I respect him for. But uh, yeah, interesting. Um, Let's see. Uh, Pete Penrod's indeed nominated to be king, as I predicted before. Uh, but since he nominated Ellen, and people didn't really want to depose in the first place, I can kind of see Ellen just getting reelected. Okay. Uh, seems like he's learned his lesson here. Um, 
We'll see. Hopefully he starts playing an RTS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he puts away the chessboard, picks up the mouse. Um, that does remind me I'm going anyway. to give you a, uh, a a green highlight on the, the prediction that Penrod will be the new king. Uh, you did also say that he will want to surrender the city, which we have yet to see, but uh, it was a, a, a prediction on Penrod at least being involved in the, the new kingship here. Yeah. Yay. Green highlights. <laughs> um, going back a chapter. Uh, I think Vin and Cezad aren't done talking about the deepness. Uh, yeah, their conversation was a little truncated by the, the sadness of Tinville's situation. And it ended with them looking at their feet, kicking the dirt, and going, anyway. <laughs> so I can see them having a, a deeper conversation here. Uh, I think later they'll connect the dots and realize that the Inquisitors are still missing from the conventicle of fucking Saran. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that means something. Uh, you know, eventually says it'll be like, what does this have to do with the conventicle? Hmm. At least I'm hoping. Um, so there you go. Uh, and then uh, lastly, uh, Jesse's the call. What happened to y'all is he's still on his move northward, and he'll hopefully side with Ellen. That'd be great. That would certainly help. <laughs> yeah, e even the odds a little bit. Yep, and that's it for me. Okay. Yeah, this is definitely a, a point where uh, the questions that we have on hand, for the most part, are pretty direct ones that we want to just read the next couple of chapters and find out what's going to happen Sunday. Exactly. Uh, we're going to celebrate Christmas is what's going to happen Sunday. Yay. It'll be cold as hell. Sure will. But I'll get the lost metal loaned to me. So <laughs> who cares? Uh, all right, uh, Caleb, are your predictions similarly close looking or are we going to be looking further out? Um, I have a couple of a uh, couple of both. Um, I also want to open on a couple of questions. Um, first off is something that we haven't really confronted yet. Um, but what exactly is a dueling cane? This has been this is a thing that's been mentioned a lot. Um, I believe Cayman had one. A lot of the abilities seem to have one. Um, it does seem like they have use in combat, both from the name, and I believe Ellen's does come in with one, um, maybe, like, right into the Inquisitor versus Kelsier fight, and then also, I believe, when it comes to, quote-unquote, save Vin, uh, towards the end of Final Empire, um, so I kind of just, just assumed it's, like, a thing that a lot of nobility have, and it's pretty much just a cane, except it's also, like, really sturdy, and you can hit people with it, but this chapter, this last chapter... It's specified that Phylan notes he is wearing a, a dueling cane. Ellen is. Um, so what does that mean? How are you? How can you wear a cane? Um, so I'm just very curious what what the deal with the dueling canes is. I can give you some answers on that because it's mostly just like filling in some details. But will there ever be a giant revelation when we finally find what, out what one is when it's properly used? Or should you just go no, ahead and tell me? No, they're, okay. they're canes that you hit people with. They're, <laughs> they're kind of a, I'm not going to stoop to carrying a sword 
but I still want to be able to hit somebody with something. So maybe it's got like some metal bands on it or something so you can hit people more effectively. As for Ellen wearing his, I'm guessing he's trying to be more, I guess, regal or dramatic. And it's in a holster of some sort instead of him walking with it. Interesting. Um, yet another uh, sign that the nobility in this series is the absolute worst is that they're giving up the opportunity to just wield swords. Um <sighs> Next up, I have some math, um, which is that uh, we overshot it a little bit. It has been 201 pages since Marsh was confirmed gone because Sezed woke up and he wasn't there anymore. It has been 231 pages since we last saw him and the chapter ended with him still present. Mm -hmm. um, on a similar note, I did double check. I didn't, I didn't count the epilogue, so we're not quite there yet. But we are pages away from the halfway point of the book. And we have finally seen Set, which is nice. Um, we, uh, Vin is still here. I, I, Sam and I both assumed like her, the big plot of the book for her would be going to find the Well of Ascension, and she's still chilling in Luthadel, and we're like halfway through the book, um, which is wild. Um, but just some observations related to page count. Okay, good to know. Um, some updates on um, other theories is we have talked a lot about Kelsier's crew and, you know, it's ham, it's breeze, it's clubs. It's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's this core group of people. Um, it is interesting that in the first chapter of this reading, when they're in their private time planning out their uh, little, do we do martial law or democracy? What do we do next? All of their negotiations. <laughs> Demo is present and he's also not really saying anything. He's just listening to everything. Uh, so, just in terms of who the Contra Spy is and who my current theory is, that's an interesting thing to keep in mind. Um, I also now know to be on the lookout for Demo snacking on rotten meat in the background of any scene. I, I mm -hmm. think that might be a, a clue I could be on the lookout for. <laughs> a uh, subtle, Demo, subtle clue. Demo, are you eating a rotten steak? <laughs> no. Oh, you. <laughs> Demo is so silly lately. So wacky that that's a Mo character. Um, and then uh, I also noted so the Hero of Ages is apparently supposed to have a birthmark on their arm. And as far as we know, Vin doesn't have a birthmark on her arm, I believe. I don't think we've been told about her having a birthmark. Birthmarks do make like something being on arms does make me think of scars which makes me go back to i think a theory i did have very early on which is oh god zane's gonna think he's the hero of ages and is gonna pull some bullshit in that regard um and then probably won't happen and would not be interesting if um zane actually is the hero of ages and that's a big twist and vin will still stay the main character but the literal hero of ages is Zane. I, there's a chance of that happening, and I sure hope it doesn't, but it might. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's just putting that on the table. But um, And then, yeah, um, now narrowing into, again, what we might see in the next couple of chapters, um, but also in some long-term stuff. Um, it is really interesting that there's two win conditions for Elland, is that he can get reelected, or he can just make it so they don't agree and he gets default put back on the throne. Um, and it's really interesting. When I first read that, I was like, okay, his main plan is going to be divide them, but then maybe there's going to be some cool stuff where he gets to have a really heroic moment and gets to go with plan A instead. Now, I think it might actually be the opposite. 
Um, I think Elend is going to actually continue to play his turn-based game, and it might actually pay off in that now with him and Penrod and Set on the table, it's actually way easier to force a non-majority. And I think he might change tactics to uh, kind of maybe even like purposefully sway votes towards a person who's not him in order to sway them away from the other so there's less than majority and he gets put back by, by default. That'd be some really good political maneuvering that I'd be totally on board with. So I'm kind of hoping that happens. Um, in more short term, um, Bree says, oh, sets here, we're in trouble, which does make me think Sel, uh, Set is probably a hell of a public speaker, and I feel like he is going to be able to to really shake up the room a little bit. Um, and that in of itself also makes me think, I don't think we have any confirmation of if he is uh, misting, um, but if he's shown up and Breeze goes, oh no, he's here, about to speak in front of a crowd, that's bad news, and Breeze is the one saying that? I do wonder if he is a soother or a rager, and he might be able to to pull the crowd to his side using some some uh, misting powers. Um, and then lastly, um, Sam talked about how uh, Set and Straff didn't have a treaty. I am now potentially connecting some dots, and maybe the opposite is true because as we as as Straff has claimed, Straff claims mm-hmm. we have a treaty. Number one, number two the next king of Luthadel will open the gates to me, unlike you, Elend. And number three, according to Straff, Set doesn't want Luthadel, he just wants the Adium. So if all of that is being kept in mind, and Straff has a man on the inside, which he does, even though Elend doesn't seem to care, um, so he might know about all of the rules and the, the um, uh, back and forths, there is a chance that set coming in and trying to become king actually is part of the long-term plan of these two teaming up because set could try to become king and then look for the adium he will hope to find it and presumably won't because no one knows where the fucking adium is right um but the plan between set and strap is set becomes king gets the adium and then let Straff be king of luvidel um that would be some uh, on the bad guys part also some really cool political back and forth that would be neat to see play out um, so I think that is a possibility. Um, and then those are all my theories. And then I do have one, one last very controversial, um, official statement that I would like to make. Okay. This has been a, a long process incoming. And I just have to say after this section of political thriller and speeches please, and dramatic entrances, please say it, say it out loud. I have, I have now moved Ellen into the idiot comma affectionate category. Yay! Yay! <laughs> we did it, lads! We won! <laughs> I'm still going to give him a hard time, but he has won me over to the point that I, I do really like him as a character. He's, he's, he's done some really good work these past couple sections. Hooray! As and it's all because of Tidwell. We got there. I, I do say <laughs> that, don't I? <laughs> it's a good phrase. All right. Uh, I don't know what column i put this in on our spreadsheet it's not, it's not really a theory it's just no. a separate observation all right yeah no i think the uh the pretty direct focus here now uh is the um the immediate political situation and there are lots of threads that are definitely going to keep going on in the background uh, but those may have to take a back seat 
for us and for our characters to solve the more immediate issue. So uh, our next section, while we're talking about that, so I can get that established, uh, is once again four chapters. That will be 32, 33, 34, and 35, uh, which will take us uh, most of the way through part three, and then the episode after that is when we'll finish it up. All right. Yeah, I hope I hope that everyone likes the politics. Like like everyone in the Cosmere fandom likes the politics. I just keep thinking Caleb and I have a friend who also listens to this podcast, Hijack. It was in a film class one day and someone was trying to make a point and brought up he was like, Nobody cares about the politics in Star Wars. And Jack, just in the middle of a crowd, really loudly went, I care! <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was just thinking of, because I write, because I'm a dork, I write up uh, little quick reviews for all the movies I've seen of the year. Um, and I, in the extended stuff, there is some really fun Star Wars political stuff. But it is, I think, fair to say that it does bog down the prequel movies when the politics keep getting brought up over and over. Um, I don't think that's a super controversial statement. And... Um, Speaking of prequel series who decided to just go all in on the politics, Fantastic Beasts 3 wasn't very good. Um, and <laughs> I sure wish that series was still about fun, magical animals instead of wizard presidential elections in which known criminals and felons can just become president on a loophole, apparently. Sorry, spoilers for a bad movie. Um, but oh, it is ref no. it is refreshing to be doing a series in which later on the author decides yeah i'm gonna put in a ton of politics and it's really good and i'm really excited and enjoying <laughs> it um so if you don't like the political thriller aspect of uh uh well of ascension uh you are wrong we all agree on it the, my views do reflect the official views of the podcast okay on this matter all right then also surprisingly uh star wars prequels going to be relevant in an analogy in just a little bit Oh, boy. Oh, yes. Uh, because uh, before we get into our uh, usual declarations of where you can find us on the internet, uh, well, I'm going to start with one of them, which is that you can email us at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com uh, because we got a message this past, since we recorded last, at least, uh, from Adam, uh, who wanted to say a couple things, mostly just that they were enjoying listening to the podcast, which we appreciate. Uh, Yay. But also had a question that I wanted to very briefly, I guess, pontificate about, um, <laughs> which was what order are we going to be reading our books in once we get through the obvious finish this trilogy? Uh, because it happens, I think, weirdly often in sci-fi and fantasy of deciding what order you read things in. But I can I can give you at least some of an answer to that, though I'm not going to hard commit to anything more than, you know, a, a book or two ahead in case we need to move things around. Um, there is a reading order that the, um, the, the Cosmere Reddit, uh, r slash Cosmere, they suggest a couple of different ones. They have one that they call modified publication order, uh, which it, it's generally in the order that the books were published, but it moves a couple of things around uh, to kind of group things together 
uh, and it, it puts Mistborn first because it's a more fun place to start with. Uh, and that's generally speaking what I think we're going to go with. I've modified it slightly. The thing that is is going to be interesting that I want to try on this podcast that I don't know if any other Sanderson reading podcast has done is that when Brandon does the Stormlight books, which are his giant, giant series of giant books. Uh, I would say magnum opus, but there's going to be 10 of them. So right. magnum op- opuses? Opi? Opi. Um, I'm, I'm going to have <laughs> to ask. I know multiple people who have studied Latin, and they're going to be mad if I got that wrong. So I'm going to have to ask. Oh, no. That it, it, it is technically OP would be how you pronounce it. But yes. it is. Op- yeah, that's yeah. what I was afraid of. Um, Opi is something else. <laughs> but the the Stormlight oh. books come out roughly every three years, and there's other books in between because Brandon needs to write smaller things, and he knows that we can't always just read giant books one after another. Uh, so, and the other thing is that the way that Stormlight has progressed and the way that uh, future eras of Mistborn have progressed, uh, it's it doesn't make sense to me to try to group those entirely together uh, because at a certain point, it is kind of assumed that you're reading both of them. Uh, so roughly what we're going to do once we get to that point is we're going to read a Stormlight book and then we're going to read one or two smaller things and then go back to Stormlight and then back to something else. Uh, and there's definitely going to be an element of when we get back to a series trying to say, all right, where were we? Uh, but that's also how Brandon writes these books. So I think it will work out okay. Yeah, Justin and I have had sort of internal discussions about this um, where we've looked at this order, we've kind of discussed it, but haven't, like just said, haven't set anything in stone, partially because it's so dang far away. Yeah. <laughs> it's not worth really, you know, stressing about now, yeah. I don't think. It is weird that uh, my brother actually started up Sanderson, but he is reading in a different order, so... Oh no! Just, um, he started with, uh, he said it's one of the standalones, I don't remember which one it was. Probably um, Warbreaker, Atlantis? if I had to guess. Yes, it was War, it was, it was Warbreaker, yeah. The one that's um, free on the internet. Ah, well that might explain it. Um, but, and then he keeps saying, yeah, and I have a Last Empire, and I'm like, it's not called Last Empire, man, that's not, it's Final Empire, <laughs> this is a very specific name for it, it's like, whatever! Um, but, uh, yeah, it is, it is funny that we are, we have both started up Sanderson within the past calendar year. I don't remember it's been exact a year for us, but, um, in the recent past, we both started up Sanderson, but we're just going to be on completely different wavelengths the entire way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The other, um, the, the one kind of particular sticking point reading order wise, uh, and this is, this is a big question. Like most people, if you ask like, what order should I read all these Sanderson books in? Usually the answer is, like, take your pick, read what you like, as long as you read, you know, each sub-series in order. Uh, but the big question that gets a lot of debate is, when do I read Secret History? So, mm-hmm. uh, for Sam and Caleb, uh, there are seven Mistborn novels so far. There's the the Era 1 trilogy that we're reading, and then four books for era two. They're slightly smaller, so that the two eras are about the same total length. Uh, there's also a novella called Mistborn Secret History uh, that Brandon kind of stealth released, where one of the other era two As books... As he is apparently want to do. Yeah, no, this is just a thing now. 
uh, one of the other Era 2 books released. And in a postscript, uh, it said, you know, this story will continue in the next book. Uh, I've also released this ebook uh, called Mistborn Secret History uh, that explains some things that you might want to know. Uh, and it takes place during Era 1, but kind of off page from what we're currently reading. And so Brandon has said that you can you can read it after you finish Era 1, or you can read it when it came out. And some people, including uh, the Sander Lange podcast, who, who did it this way, uh, say that it's it's better read after Era 1 because you'll have a, a, a more direct kind of knowledge of what just happened. And so you'll have a, a better chance of spotting where things are linking up that, that proves that this actually was planned and it isn't just Brandon adding things after the fact. Uh, <laughs> and then the other option is to read it at the point where it was released, uh, which to make an analogy to the the Star Wars prequels uh, is kind of the the classic watch order question of do you uh, do you have the Empire Strikes Back big moment of revealing that Darth Vader is Luke's father and then watch the prequels as like a big flashback or do you see them in order and wait for the characters to figure it out? Uh, but the thing that I want to do, because it's the option that I like better, and because it's the one that I haven't seen chosen before, is that we're going to read Secret History later, in Era 2, when it came out. I concur with us waiting till it's it's in the middle of Era 2, mm-hmm. is when it, when it released, and I concur with us keeping it that way, because I'm a hoe for a reveal. With, yeah. with my limited understanding of, of exactly how the structure relates to each other. I think I also agree this feels like a better way. I think if I think if you are rereading the series, it might make sense to move it to before. Um, but yes, I also, you know, I would like to be revealed the same information in the same way people reading for the very first time did. So I think that makes sense to me as well from what I can understand is happening here. I don't know. You mentioned Star Wars Machete Order. My brain just goes wild, mm-hmm. and sometimes I can't follow everything that's happening. So I apologize. <laughs> Absolutely lost in the sauce. The other thing is that honestly, I think that the the issue of um, being able to to see the the connections back to Era One, I think, is going to be mitigated uh, because a we've been reading this series very closely, and b we're going to be discussing it as we go with you know people who can point things out when it needs to be pointed out so i think that's what we're going to try but it's going to be some time yeah we have an exhaustive list of two people's theories on the entire series i think we're going to be able to pick up on some cool details (laughs) yes me me saying we're not jumping back a few minutes but me saying we're not stressed so much about reading order right now it is still a worthy question adam and thank you very much for asking yes we just don't like committing to things so far in advance but the general order of bouncing between stormlight and era 2 um that's that's what we're vibing with yep and please send more emails it's exciting to hear from people. yeah no i loved it love to hear from from folks who are listening to the show other ways that you can uh, engage with listening to the show, 
you can see our Instagram at always another pod. You can see uh, Caleb's works of art there. I'm trying to I'm trying to balance my own artistic vision with the algorithm, um, and I feel like I'm starting to find a balance. And uh, at least at time of recording, uh, you can find us on Twitter at always another pod. But uh, it's looking like that may change in the near future. So if that does, we will be sure to to let y'all know where you can find us. In fact, if that does happen, check the Instagram because we will probably have an announcement on where else you can find us besides Twitter at that point. <laughs> because we can say that kind of thing on Instagram. Correct. Yeah, you can't on banned. Twitter. That'd be, that'd, be, that'd be... Free speech! We love free speech, right, guys? <laughs> if our Twitter gets banned, that's going to be hilarious. That That's really a badge of honor. <laughs> All right. In that case, I think we've wrapped up this episode, unless there is anything that I am uh, forgetting here. Nothing. I was going to say, that's a, uh, a, a resounding <laughs> silence. I think we are, we are all set then. We don't usually do that, the outro. Yeah. I am excited for the, uh, um, uh, when we get the flashback to Set and Strap talking and, and Strap has to explain how uh, he accidentally um, made Zade and Set goes, I, I don't understand, did you trip or something? That was an excellent West Wing reference. We, we love Richard Schiff humor on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward Very to what's going to happen specific, on Sunday. Specific, specific uh, catered humor. <laughs> what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Christopher, Christopher. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, that feels like enough audio hellscape for one outro. Good night. Or day. <laughs> depending. <laughs>